All right, and welcome to another episode of the Run Local Podcast. This is the podcast, of course, where we invite guests across the spectrum of society, including elite athletes, entrepreneurs, local legends, independent journalists, and beyond. We utilize the sport of running to learn more about these individuals and their local community and what they're doing to change the world. Of course, my name is JT Service. I am here with my sometimes co-host, Josh Muxon. Josh, how are you doing today? Great, JT. It's another beautiful day in California. You know, the weather's uh, as it is. Lovely to it, be here. It is as it is. And you, please introduce our guests or we'll let them do it themselves. You know what? We are... Uh, in a unique position where I get to go a little bit back in time and chat with Mario. We'll let him introduce himself um, in just a second. But Mario and I um, used to uh, used to work together back in the San Diego days. Um, so it's a pleasure uh, to have him on the show. And Mario, as is our custom um, on the Run Local Pod, is to ask you to give us a little bit of, of who you are uh, in terms of introduction. So Mario, tell us about yourself. I am Mario Fraioli and former co-worker of Joshua Muxon of the competitor group. <laughs> um, I am also uh, I am also a husband to my wife, Christine, a dog dad to Tahoe, who you guys just saw walk behind me on the camera a couple minutes ago. I'm a runner, I'm a coach, and I am the host of the Morning Shakeout podcast, and I also write a newsletter of the same name. I'm a whole bunch of other things too, but that's what's taking up most of my time these days. Wow, busy guy, Mario. Good. Busy guy. Great to have you. Thanks for carving out the time to be here. Thank you guys for having me. I swear me. to God, we asked we asked Joe Rubio the same question, and then we didn't talk for another 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, I just love that, A, I get to dig at Joe, my old coach, um, but how people take it differently. Joe then said, well, it started back in seventh grade. And I was like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. He's just telling a joke. It literally started back in seventh grade, and then the story went on from there. Which was 60 years ago, right? Something along those lines. We had like a good 60 years of history. It was back when San Jose was just orchards. It was so like good. Buildings. And honestly, it was a great podcast, but it just it just took it down a totally different way than than I thought it was going to. Was I got to check that one out. Well, yeah, Mario, he's great. Uh, as you put that on your list, you know one of the things that I had the pleasure of doing is actually checking out a little bit more of the uh, uh, your podcast. Uh, actually, when I was on my run yesterday, um, so I had a chance to um, to dive into some of that. We're going to chat a little bit about that. But one of the things that um, I'm very curious about, we were just talking before we went went live, was uh, your your location in the world, where you are, uh, and in terms of uh, you know how things are going for you. A lot of things are happening all over the place for folks, especially runners. Um, and you're a little bit north of the Golden Gate, right? Yep. Yeah. So we live in we live in Nevada, California, which is about 30 miles north of San Francisco. I half jokingly call it the fringes of Marin County. We're about as far north in Marin as you can go before you hit Sonoma. And most of my neighbors are cows and horses and other types of barnyard animals. Yeah, but it gives you a lot of access to some beautiful trails all, all around all around the world. And uh, I know that JT's uh, been working on uh, a a fantastic event uh, where it's a, a virtual run up the coast. So the uh, the um, JT, what is it called? What's going California on? California Coast 500. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to plug things the entire show, Josh no. er, and and Mario. But uh, no, yeah. no, no, but. But one of the things that that I've been thinking about as we got as we got through that is I haven't spent nearly enough time um, 
actually running in your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. And I would love just like a little bit of landscape on some trails and some things that, that you enjoy uh, living just north of the, just north of the bridge. Yeah. So I, I might be a little biased because I've lived in Marin now for, God, I think the past four years we've been here. Um, if you include when we lived in Kentfield before we bought our house last fall. And it is some of the most beautiful running that you'll find anywhere in the world. You've got, in air quotes, mountains, um, but they're they're small. I mean, Mount Tam's the highest peak, and it's like 2,400 feet. And you've got a couple other ones that scrape like 2,000. I've got Mount Burdell in my backyard, which is 1,500 yeah. feet. Mm. So, I mean, if you talk to real mountain folk from Colorado and other places, I mean, they'll, they'll laugh you square in the face. But you have that type <laughs> of terrain. You can get some good elevation gain and some beautiful views of the entire bay, yeah. which is which is pretty remarkable. But the ocean is right over on the other side of the ridge, and that's what's pretty cool, um, is that you can easily access the Pacific Ocean as well. So the the landscape is just really varied and you can just go for hours and hours and hours and, and see some pretty incredible stuff. So yeah, I mean, you should definitely yeah, try and get your butt up here and, and run a little bit more. It, it is it is pretty spectacular. Um, but I'm going to quit talking now because I don't want to have too many people here because then it gets crowded and I can't enjoy it as much <laughs> myself. Well, that's what I th actually thought where you were going to go in. It's like, it's absolute trash. It's all asphalt everywhere you go. It's basically a parking lot. You don't want any yeah. part of that. No. Yeah, concrete jungle, no no sunshine, <laughs> nothing. Stay away. I love that. Um, in, where were you before? I'm curious where you moved from and what how that transition came about. Yeah, so we, um, we've been in Marin since 2016. Before that... When we moved up to the Bay, we lived in San Mateo for two years. So we moved up from San Diego to the Bay in 2014. Uh, we moved to San Mateo. I was still working for competitor group, competitormagazine.com. I was flying back and forth to SoCal and other places quite frequently. So we needed to be closer to the airport. So that worked out really well. But it was it was pretty busy there, and we wanted to just get some more space. And we were heading up to Marin all the time anyway, so we decided to to start looking for places up here and we found a spot in 2016 and we bought our place that we live in now last fall. So I think we're going to be here for, for quite a while. And prior to that, I'd been in San Diego for, uh, four years, just about three and a half, four years. I, I moved to California from Massachusetts where I'm from in 2010 to work for the competitor group, the aforementioned competitor.com competitor magazine. Uh, and I spent three and a half years, in San Diego, we lived in a few few different spots there. I was in Rancho Penasquitos. I was in like UTC, La Jolla. I was in Del Mar for a year, which was pretty cool. Uh, so definitely have, have had my fill of, of California over the past 10 years that it's been home for me. Yeah, and we haven't scared you off yet. You're, you're in. No, I, I think... You seem to be uh, going north, so we're yeah. in... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just keep we keep migrating north. That's that's sort of like my my wife and I's uh, ongoing joke is that we're just gonna keep going. We're just gonna keep going north till we end up in like Oregon or something like that. Uh, because we do love yeah. Sonoma County and we have more exploring to do, kind of in the northern northern part of California. But I'm an East Coast guy, at least where I was where I was born and spent most of my life. I moved the day after my 28th birthday and been here in California the last 10 years and if it's up to my wife because everything's up to my wife uh we are not <laughs> we are not going anywhere so I think we'll be no. here for I think we'll be here for the foreseeable future that's cool 
Well, Josh, you were just telling me now that Google is uh, pretty much work from home for the foreseeable future and a number of other places that he's like, I might move to Santa Cruz County or Marin County. So we have all three covered right now. And Josh is in, in the Bay right now in San Carlos. So I think it's up to us, Mario, to make him choose which side to go, north or south. Yeah, it's, it's really, a, it's, yeah, it's, it's really a, a, you know, just a line in the sand here. Um, so <laughs> I'm probably just going to stay where I am, to be honest. <laughs> Not you know, it's any- probably it's probably a little more affordable down in Santa Cruz County than it is up here in Marin. Maybe a little less crowded as well. I don't know. I haven't spent nearly enough time down there. But, I mean, you can't go wrong either way. I mean, no. San Carlos itself isn't so bad. I mean, we used to live right next door in San Mateo. I used to run through San Carlos all the time. No, this yeah, is great. Yeah. I was going to jump on your side, too, and be like, Josh, you should totally go to Marin. I don't think we need <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> That's probably good. Even if you can go a little further north, that'd be Maybe preferable. Just keep it going. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Mario, you know, I, I, aside from where you're living right now, I know one of the big big shifts for you is moving from uh, the, the kind of that, that structure of, of writing for a magazine to doing mm-hmm. some things uh, on your own. And, and JT and I were chatting a little bit about making that transition. Um, and I know JT has some, some definitely some questions uh, uh, around, the, around that. But I'm curious, you know, like, as you started to think about where you wanted to go um, within your, your career, um, how did you, how'd you land on this idea? Uh, like, I really want to get more into coaching. I would really want to write on my own. I really want to like, kind of engage in the more community aspect. Yeah. Um, kind of that, it's crazy, I think, to be, <laughs> I'm going to be a freelance journalist and I'm going to write about running. You might as well just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go pro in, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to be a pro, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I love it. You're like, yeah, I can do this. Well, to answer that question, I've got to rewind to 2009 when I was living in Massachusetts. I was managing full-time a specialty running shop called PR Running in in Westboro, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I had worked at the sports department of my local newspaper. I was a copy editor. I actually wrote the running column. I continued to write the running column um, even when I I left the newspaper as a staffer and, and was managing the store. But Around 2009, I, I, and I'd been doing that for about three years at that point, meaning managing the store and, and not really working in media, I, I wanted to get back into it. And I knew that I wanted to write about running, and I knew that I wanted to coach some more runners because I had been working with you know three to five people sort of on the side while I was managing the store, and I wanted to do more of that. So I went to my boss. Uh, his name is Rich Allen owner of PR Running, still owns PR Running, still one of my best friends who's in my wedding in 2013. I asked him if I could step back from my full-time duties at the store to three days a week um, because I needed, I, I, I knew enough about the landscape that I needed some stability and predictability in terms of, of my income. So I asked him if I could step back to work in three days a week at the store, is about 24, 25 hours. That way it would open up time for me to pursue writing and pursue coaching and just put more time into those things. And he was really supportive of it. He kept me on three days a week, continued to pay. He used to pay my full health insurance, which was awesome. I was the only full-time employee at the store and and he paid half of it, I think, after that, which was huge because I didn't know what I was going to do in that regard. But I used my time to start just pitching stories to different publications. And at the time, 
competitor.com and competitor group was just starting to gain momentum and they launched their running site in 2009. So I got in fairly early there in terms of writing. They also own triathlete magazine and I picked up a running column for them called on the run. Uh, I was freelancing for new England runner running times. I mean, I was able to pick up some work pretty quickly cause I had had some experience and I had some contacts and I started coaching a few more athletes and it was working really well. I was quite happy. I was like, all right, this is good. I got a good mix here. I'm working a few days a week at the, sh at the store. I've got money coming in regular schedule. Um, and I kind of control the rest and it felt like the right balance at the time. I didn't know how I was going to shift it to the point where I wouldn't have to work at the store anymore. I had gone up to Maine and spent a day with Scott Douglas, who is a longtime freelance writer for running times and has written books and, and other publications and asked him basically how he did it. Um, and how do I become you? Yeah. How do I become you? And I remember him just telling me, he's like, well, he's like, it's not very stable. It doesn't always pay very well. You don't always get paid on time. He's like, best thing you can do as a writer is just like pitch, pitch, pitch. And when you feel like you've pitched your head off, start pitching some more. Um, yeah. And that was like some really good, that was some really good advice. But I mean, that's what I did. And I was in a good spot. And right around the, it was like early 2010, um, competitor.com hired me for the weekend to work the Boston Marathon for them and write stories. And that was in, in April. And I think in February, February, March, the web editor position at competitor.com opened up. And I'd already been writing for them and I was aware that that it had opened up. And I, I, I just knew, I was like, this is my chance. Like the, the opportunity to get in at a running publication is, I mean, the opportunities to do that are few and far between. Um, most of the those publications are small. Even Running Times, which was my favorite magazine at the time, none of them were on staff at Rodale. They were all um, contractors, and yeah. there just wasn't a lot of stability. Competitor Group was this new thing, and, and the web editor position had opened up, and I had been writing for them already, so I threw my name in the hat. And they brought me out for an interview. It was only the second time I'd ever been out to California, first time to San Diego. I was like, well, this isn't so bad. Um, I could I could totally see myself out here. And I was, I mean, living in Massachusetts, I owned my home at the time. I thought I was going to be there for, for life. I had it pretty, you know, pretty comfortable. But I knew that I, I mean, from the time that I talked to Rich at the running store, like I knew what I wanted to do was coach runners and write about running. Um, and ultimately, my goal was to do that for myself. But I knew I was at least smart enough to know like how challenging that is like that it was going to take me a while to get there i didn't know how long but i knew that it was just going to take me a while to get there so i had to be very strategic and methodical in terms of how i approach it and i also needed experience i mean i had worked as a copy editor at a newspaper i had done freelance stuff for a bunch of publications i'd coached a, a few athletes but I, I knew that in order to do that successfully on my own in addition to the right opportunities i needed more experience so I mean, I'll fast forward through a bit, but I got offered the job at Competitor Group to come out and work as the web editor of Competitor.com, and I really saw that as a, as a foot in the door. It was full-time, salaried. It was actually less money than I was making in Massachusetts, but it was full-time. It was salaried. Um, the company was fairly new. It had funding behind it, so I knew there was at least a few years of stability there. I didn't, I didn't know exactly how much, but I knew there was, there was, some, there was some stability there. Um, Leaving Massachusetts was tough. My dad didn't take that all that well. Um, 
My girlfriend at the time, who is not my wife now, didn't take that all that well. Um, but I knew it's what I needed to do to get where I wanted to go. And in the course of less than six weeks, I packed up my life, sold my house and moved to California to start working for competitor. And I was there for six years, um, gained a lot of experience as an editor, as a writer on the media side of things. I moved up to senior editor by the time that I left. And by the time that I left competitor, uh, the running brand was more cohesive than when I got there. When I got there, they had a digital vertical and a print vertical. And by the time I left, mm -hmm. those were merged and it was, it was just one thing. And, and we had a good thing going. It's now podium runner and Jonathan Beverly's doing a great job with it. Um, and I, I couldn't, yeah, say it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that's a, there's a long story behind that, which we don't have to get into here, but I started coaching more people as well in San Diego. I started coaching a group of women, um, called the Prado racing team. I still coach many of them today. So I was gaining experience doing that. I picked up a few more athletes. So I was doing that on the side and it was just like a, a really, you know, it was a really good blend for me. And I, I achieved what I had set out to do in terms of gaining experience and then just, you know, developing some stability and, um, we can get into it if you guys want, but it's, it's gotten me to the point where I am now where I've been self-employed for the last four years as a coach writer and now podcast host. Wow. That's cool. So, I mean, it sounds like all of it and you're right. You have to go back in time to tell that story. Otherwise you can't say why you had the confidence to go do that or why you had the contacts then and all of those different pieces to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's important to tell that story because I get people reaching out to me every week now and how do I do what you do? And I'm like, well, how yep. long, how long do you have to listen to like what it took? I'm <laughs> like, it, it took me, you know, it took Same me, thing. yeah, it took me at minimum six years, probably closer to 10 um, to yeah. put all the right pieces in place and like gain the experience that I, that I needed to. And, you know, even now I love what I'm doing and I think I've been fairly successful at it, but it's still not easy. It's still a lot of work and it's not as glamorous as it seems from the outside, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mario, one of the interesting things is I, I think that people assume that as a journalist, you're out to all these wonderful, fantastic races and you're spending time coaching, you're spending time <laughs> covering it, you're flying first class, you know, you're doing all these spectacular things. But it, I mean, it's got a, it's a grind, right? Like it takes away not just your, uh, I would assume just the, the Monday through Friday, but the real bulk of the work comes on the weekends where, you know, if you are doing race coverage or you are coaching or that's where a big investment at least used to be. And the, the interesting thing is when I, I, I if I'm recalling correctly, uh, you were, um, also training uh, down in San Diego, and I think Alan Culpepper was was coaching you a little bit too, and so yep. you're getting some information from back then. So you're also competing, you're also living it as well, and uh, you know I'm kind of curious with all of that. Like, what's the, where do you find the balance? Where do you find the the opportunity to say like, okay, this is the job, this is me as an athlete, and this is this is me as a as an advisor or a coach, and where do you where do you you know, because you're critiquing at different levels, you're mm -hmm. critiquing yourself, you're critiquing someone's workout and you're critiquing the sport as a whole. And, and how do you, how do you balance all that? It's an interesting question. Um, that's, that's the, truthfully a first for me though, that anyone said, that. but <laughs> carry on. Well, there you go. You can retire now. You've, you've yeah. asked your one interesting yeah. question right, right off into the, 
right off into the sunset. But I mean, you know, I think um, it's it's not balanced. I mean, maybe on the whole, if I were to zoom out and look at it over the course of a long period of time, things probably look a more look a lot more balanced than they are at any at any given moment. But there have been times when I've been more focused on myself as an athlete, which means I'm less focused on something else. There have been times where I am more focused on my coaching and what my own athletes need, which means I'm less focused on something else. Or there's times when I'm, I'm more focused on on writing, reporting, covering races, and I'm traveling for long stretches at a time, which means I'm less focused on on some of those on some of those other things. So, in the moment, things are you know, on any given day, things are completely out of balance and completely out of whack, and my attention is going pretty intently in one place, which means things aren't getting completely neglected, but they're also not getting my my full attention either. But again, if you zoom out. And you look in the hole, it's like, okay, well, I've probably devoted an equal amount of my time and attention to all of these yeah. things. It's just that that time and attention has come at different times, if if that makes sense. Um, but, uh, I mean, running – I mean, you guys know better than anyone else. Running never stops. I mean, especially in California, there's races year-round. Um, things, are, things are always going. There is no real off-season. And that can be – uh, that can that can be great, but it can also just be really challenging because it becomes hard to shut off and give yourself that break that you need from time to time in order to recharge and, and rest. So yeah, yeah. So Josh asked you the why, or excuse me, Josh asked you the how. You know, how did you become these things and how did you get these things done? I'm curious, like why you knew you wanted to coach runners and you knew you wanted to write about running. It was like those were your that was your focus and it's still your focus seemingly unless mm-hmm. you have some other secret plan you're trying to hash that we don't know about maybe we'll get to that nope. later but you know, why what what do you love about coaching and what do you is is that the same things that you love about writing about running as well or yeah there is a yeah there is a lot of overlap between the two i mean on the coaching side of things it is very personal. It's one-to-one relationships. I work with anywhere between 20 and 25 athletes very closely at any given time throughout the year. And we're in constant communication. I'm writing their schedules. I'm at a lot of their events. I know a lot about them and their lives and the things that they have going on outside of running. I know what place running holds in their life, whether they're a competitive age grouper or a professional athlete and how everything else in their life supports that or, or complements it. And I mean, the biggest thing that I want to do with those people is to help them realize their potential and see what's possible for themselves in this pursuit of running that means so much to them. But it's very personal and it's it's very individual. Mm. I do the same thing through my writing and through my podcasting. I try through my work, whether it's sharing the experiences of someone else, whether it's sharing my own experiences as an athlete or whatever it may be, is, is to show people what's possible for themselves through the lens of, of running. Um, but I'm not doing that on a one-on-one individual level. It's, it's much more um, widespread than that. And it reaches, it definitely reaches more people and it's less, it's less personal, less personal. But I know, for instance, if someone reads something that I've written or listens to an episode of my podcast and they hear my guest telling a story about how they overcame something, they see themselves in that person and it inspires something in them that they want to pursue or they want to, they want to figure out. And, and in a way it's, 
you know, it's coaching, it's providing that for people, but it's just less personal than it is when I'm actually working with someone on a one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. basis. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and I think, Mario, you, you bring up, I think, uh, an interesting concept where mm -hmm. uh, there's this idea around, especially now, without without races for the masses. I mean, if you were an elite athlete, there's a few here and there, but one of the things is this idea of of process versus outcome and mm -hmm. how, you know, we, we sometimes get fixated to, to an outcome, which uh, honestly, I, I don't. I don't really think that that's a bad thing. I think we can all try to strive towards something kind of depending on what that outcome is. But um, right now there's, there's very little in terms of the way of the outcome. And how do you keep uh, individuals in, in all lines of your work um, just you know, committed to the process and enjoying that when it doesn't seem to have these benchmarks of, all right, how am I doing or end capping a bit of that process? Yeah. I. Personally, I've been using this time as an opportunity to really hammer that home and reinforce it with people since there are no outcomes in the form of, of races in particular, to use one example, that, that we should be aiming for. Because when there are, like we, we talk about process, process, process all the time, but it can be hard to really embrace that when you've got a race that's six weeks away. So, right. I mean, right now where there are no events to really focus on i mean i've always thought of races as like i don't look at them as like outcomes or end-alls they're just checkpoints along the way part of the process sure. and this is a good time especially with my athletes on a one-on-one -on -one level to help them to really understand what that means and to help them really realize that and for some of my athletes that might mean setting up time trials because they have the opportunity to train and they can push themselves and see what's possible when no one else is around and there isn't the glitz and glamour of a big event. But there are other athletes that I have who, because of their situation, they're now working from home. Their kids are home all the time. They yeah. have less time than they're used to training. I mean, the thought of doing a, a time trial is like the last thing that they want to be doing or that they can be doing at this point. So with those athletes, it's focusing on like, hey, you have limited time you have a lot of these constraints. You can't put in as much time to training as you typically would. You don't have this big thing that you're working toward, but let's focus on like what you can do. Like as little as it may seem to you at the time, because when things do open back up again, when your schedule allows for you to train a little bit more, when you do have a race that you can get excited about, if you have that mindset going into it, like, hey, I'm just focusing on what I can do and I'm not getting too high or getting too low over anything that may come at me during the course of a given day, that's going to make you a better athlete, you know, down yeah. the road. It's going to make you a better person. It's going to help you better handle any number of things that comes, you know, comes at you in life. And, and I think right now is just a, a really good time to, to work on that because we just don't, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be. Like we really have to, especially if we're going to be in this for the long haul or we've accepted that we're going to be in this for like quite a while, you have to develop those processes to get you through to the next day to, yeah. to really like not get flustered when something doesn't go your way um, to not like get overly excited when you see like a, you know, a small breakthrough realizing like, Hey, I still got to get up and do it again tomorrow. So I don't know if that answers your question, but at least that's the, that's the approach that I've been taking from a, from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it does. There's a couple, there's two things. It, it, I got two questions, JT, uh, on this one. The first one is... Honestly, I don't even know why I'm here. Okay, yeah, continue. <laughs> you've, got the, you've got the dial in code, man. You're the, you're, the, you're the meeting host. We couldn't do it without you. But this this thing where 
uh, there's this perception where running itself is what you do on the roads and the trails and on, when you're moving your feet back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that is running, but that's not necessarily training. You know, training right. has everything to do with the, the, what you're doing and enjoying the, the, the meals or the sleep or the stretching or the, the small strength exercises. And I've heard a lot of folks talk about, well, I'm not running as many intense miles, but I am spending a little bit more time trying to be a little bit more flexible with my diet or trying to enjoy something outside of running that allows me to, to be more grateful for the time, the limited time that I spend outdoors. And you know, and I thought that was, I thought that was, you know, that was really neat. I don't know if that was like a call of saying like they're just trying to run away from their kids for 30 minutes a day and be like, hallelujah. But I mean, in, in from your opinion, do you see any of those shifts happening um, with the folks that you're coaching or with the, with the things that you're, you're observing in the, in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely see it with some of the athletes that I coach, but just other runners that I may follow on social media, people that I've talked to. I think a lot of us as runners, whether we want to admit it or not, you tie up a lot of your identity in it. You can tie up a lot of your self-worth in results and getting that validation, getting that feedback. And we're not getting that right now, at least in the ways that we, we typically do. So I think back to the point I was making earlier, like just using this as a, as a time to realize that, like realize the role that running plays in your life or that it can play in your life. And that, you know, it, it can mean different things at different points, depending on, you know, who you are and and what your situation is. So I think, you know, everything, like people think of training, like, Oh, how's your training? Oh, my training's going well. I hit, you know, 60 miles last week, or I hit, you know, tough track workout on, Tuesday and I, I hammered a long run. Those are tiny little elements of training. Right. Everything is training. The way that you live your life, the the way you put in your miles, yeah, that's training. But the way you recover is training. The way that you eat when you're preparing for an event versus when you're not is, is training. And that can evolve. The way you mm-hmm. treat people when you're out running and and how you talk to them about what it is that they're doing, like all of that's all of that's training. Um, and I, I think it's for me on the coaching side of things, it's been getting people to, to realize that like training isn't just this thing that has a, has a box, you know, of its own, everything that you do, the way that you live your life, it's, it's going to affect your running in some way. It's going to affect your workouts. It's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect your, your diet. And when people are able to see that when the light bulb goes off, I think they end up having a healthier relationship with running or at least the, their relationship with, with running and how they see their, their place in it tends to be a little bit better than it may have been when everything was so results oriented. And, you know, I've got to be super strict with my diet. I got to get to bed by nine o'clock. I've got to do my track workout on Tuesday and my tempo on Thursday and my long run on Saturday and, and, you know, all the crazy things that we, that we do as, as runners, but, you know, helping them to like loosen it a little bit, I think, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one yeah. one of the places no, that's that a good I, point. Uh, one of the places that I that I see this play out is: Have you been watching the uh, Bowerman Track Club and uh, Pete's Pete's group uh, do all, kind of like their their dual meets? Have you yeah, guys both been, been following that. You know, the one thing that I find uh, absolutely fantastic about that is I don't really care. Donovan Brazier is going to run super fast great whether it's in the u.s on a cinder track or whether it's over in monaco right. he's going to be fine he can't help but, himself yeah it really really he has no governor it's just it's just <laughs> it is what it is yeah uh, the curse of the world champ but it's the it's the relay events 
that are are absolutely, in my opinion, as an observer, those are the things that the that the athletes are happiest about, that they're mm. most relaxed about, and that they're really engaged with. And it's like Shelby Houlihan um, running an anchor leg, trying to run yeah. down Chris Derrick, and it's it's that joy um, that I think everybody wants whether you're at whether you're out the door for your first 5k or whether you're an athlete who's feeling the stress of you know trying to run a fast 5000 meters but man i got i don't know mario your take on on those type of meets um, but i've been i've been like i've been loving the relays more than anything else it's just fun it's just they look like they're having fun well especially the mixed relays which you typically yeah, yeah, yeah. don't see in a standard track meet and to your point i think you're spot on like they're having they're having fun, even if it's just within their own team. And it doesn't mean anything. They're not trying to qualify for right, the Olympics right. or the world championships. They're just out there having fun. And I think for any runner, regardless of what level you're at, you've got to take some time. I think you should try and do it every week, but remind yourself like why this was fun in the first place. Like what was fun about running in the first place? And it's going to be different for everybody. But I think for me, a lot of it was just racing kids around the schoolyard when I was a kid. And it wasn't even whether I won or, or lost. It was just the feeling that it gave me when I was in it. And, you know, you have fun with your friends and maybe you talk a little bit of trash and like, that's the stuff that, you know, that's the stuff that lights you up and, and is, is worth like, you know, is, is worth getting excited about and worth celebrating. But I think right now, like with a lot of these meets, I like that since they're, especially with like Bowerman track club, they're able to call their own shots. They can do whatever they want. I think tonight they're having another meet and they're having a, I think the men, maybe it's just the men, maybe it's the women too. They're doing a 2k elimination where they're going to cool. race each other over 2k and whoever's in last at the end of a lap, like you're oh, out. Those are great. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, saw that a few years ago at some meet in Australia for a mile mm -hmm. and it's yep. really compelling and you can yep. you can see people like there's tactics you could take yeah. off you can sprint at certain times yeah you and it's fun it. watching it's fun watching the athletes do that because they've got to think through it in a different way but you're looking at everyone around the track and they are more focused on that than they are the 5k that was set up to go sub 1250 because for the first 11 laps of that they're just going to be running whatever 61s and it's yeah. not worth watching whereas right. here it's like things are going to change like very quickly and it's intriguing and i think what i hope to see coming out of this pandemic time is just more creativity especially in track maybe in road races too and jt you can speak more to this but just meet directors race directors willing to do things a little bit differently because yeah. they're fun for the athletes, but they're also more entertaining for the fans. And I think that's what's been cool, even though there's not anyone in the stands yeah. and these things aren't always broadcast live, but they're experimenting with things and the response has been pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, pretty and, cool. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about that too, and actually it, in that event that you're talking about, that 2K elimination, they used to run them indoors on like those one, what was like 160 meter tracks, mm -hmm. uh, and it's called it devil takes the hindmost. And there would actually be a, a mm. person in the back, like a plastic pitchfork running behind. And if you got poked, <laughs> if you got, this is like back, back before waivers. Uh, if you got poked <laughs> by this guy, right, you were out. And so everybody would race around and then right at the very end, you know, not, don't get stabbed by the devil. Um, yeah. But Words yeah, to live by. yeah, it is. Don't get stabbed by the devil. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. That is it. <laughs> But JT, I think I think Mario brings up a good point in terms of like in terms of like road races and, and just mm -hmm. kind of the, 
the the vibe and the energy. I mean, who cares if it's 10K or 10.2K or whatever it is? I mean, what's what's going through your mind when you think well, about it's not just distance. I mean, it's that this pandemic and then the fact that we we're forced into our homes and then forced into starting to think different and entirely. So like, how can I motivate people to move uh, in a way that's not going to be with other people or to get them up every morning to try something new? And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is interesting and could could have effect when when road racing comes back. So there's, there's these lessons that you can learn of uh, because we were forced to think differently and not keep doing the same 5k every single Sunday and keep, you know, you're not you just get into a cycle and the fact that this like snapped us awake a little bit, it's been huge for Run Local and that we're like, oh, we can create a digital content universe that has very little, little to do with the actual day on race on Sunday and people are going to be more motivated because of that. So now we're filling up their time in between and telling a story or running the coast from California, from Santa Monica to San Francisco. Um, if I if I could jump in real quick, two things that jump yeah. out to me about that. Number one, I mean, runners, we're all creatures of habit, right? We mm -hmm. tend to buy the same shoes over and over. We run a lot of the same races year in and year out. I see it with athletes, especially new athletes that I work with. They've done the same marathon cycle like four or five times in a row. And we need forced change in order to start looking mm -hmm. at things from a different perspective. And I think to your point, JT, like that's right now, like that's what's happening. It's been this forced pause and you don't have a choice, but to, you know, if I can say it, shit or get off the pot yeah. and, and yeah. people are doing cool things like you're doing with the, with the California coast 500 and like some of these teams are doing experimenting. And, yeah. and I think that's just, you know, I think that's just like, hopefully we'll, we'll benefit everyone moving forward because so. it, it makes things yeah. more compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, one thing to to add on to this because I think this is an awesome theme is, um, I was listening to uh, Bradley Wiggins um, not too long ago, and he was talking about it's been like I think yes, a couple of days ago it was like eight years to the day when he won uh, the the gold medal in London um, in the time trial. And I'm just thinking like how he was talking about the transition and that was the kind of the golden age of, of British cycling and how having that event got so many people interested in cycling. And you saw these upticks mm. in clubs afterwards and it's not a mass participation race. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a mass, like it's basically like watching, you're just a spectator. Right. Yep. And what got me kind of like, connecting the dots with running is the fact that London is now going to be uh, just elite only, basically like a crit race in a park, right? And there's London Marathon. Running, London, London Marathon. Yeah. And I thought, what a fantastic opportunity that we have with some of these events to sort of like showcase these athletes for who they are. And people yeah. are going to get fired up and like, oh yeah, that's amazing. That's great. It's sort of like, as I was thinking about it, it's like, this is the London Marathon is going to be like the NBA bubble. Right. right. Where you've got some folks watching uh, these athletes perform. And and and, you know, and, and, and Mario, from your experience, and this comes back to the, how you cover events and, mm -hmm. and how you tell that story. How have you been thinking about telling that narrative of like being part of the community is 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 unique in the fact uh, that runners can actually participate on the same starting line as Elliot? But now we're in a position where we get a chance to watch this happen and yeah. root them on in a in a little bit of different way. Like, how are you telling that story, or what's the what's oh, the vibe that you're getting for that? 
Here's Second what I'm thinking. question of the day, first of all. <laughs> I, I want to say give Josh credit for two interesting questions of the day. First time ever. <laughs> Take the next week off, Josh. You are you are good. Um, I, I'm thinking about it in a couple different ways. So number one, one of the great things about our sport, especially road racing, something like the London Marathon, if you're running it, you are part of the same event, you're running the same course, you're having more or less the same experience as Elliot Kipchoge and the other guys in the front. And you can't do that in any other sport, not really in cycling. You're not riding the Tour de France right. with all those folks. You're definitely not getting on the basketball court with LeBron James or you know, on the baseball field with the San Francisco Giants, like it's just not gonna, it's just not gonna happen. And there's something cool about that, that I, I hope gets preserved because I think it is exciting for a lot of people to be able to say like, Hey, that year that Meb Kofleski won the Boston marathon, I was, you know, at mile 20 on heartbreak Hill when he was, I was there crossed. That day. Yeah, yeah, I was there that day and I was in the same race as him mm -hmm. when it happened. And that's, and that's super cool. On the flip side, I think when you, pull these elite athletes out of the crowd, it does shine more of a spotlight on them. And I think that is a good thing. So the question becomes, for the sport, how do you balance those two? And it'll be interesting right now because people are craving sports anyway. Um, if you've got a, an elite race at the London Marathon in the secure biosphere, whatever that is, that's broadcast <laughs> right. widely, even though there are no fans on the ground, I mean, you can more easily tell the story about the race because that's all there is to talk about. There isn't, and this is no offense to any of charity runners or anyone else in the race, but there, there aren't those stories to tell. I mean, how often have we watched the New York City Marathon broadcast and you've got the most incredible marathoners in the world duking it up out front and every five minutes they're cutting to a human interest piece. Um, and, and they have to because it's part of the event and it's a money generating thing and, you know, all of their sponsor obligations and all of that stuff. But for something like this, that's all there is to watch. And if it's really compelling and if it's presented in the right way, you're going to you're going to grow fans. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. I mean, Elliot Kipchoge is a great example. The two, say what you want about the sub two hour marathon things. You got one guy literally chasing a clock and there's nothing else going on. Like that's the event of the day. And I think there were like over a million people tuning into the streams on that when it was happening. And the course itself, especially when he did it in Vienna, was just like lined with people. And this is one guy like and one guy like chasing the clock. And I mean, yeah, there's something cool about breaking a barrier and first man to run under two hours. But racing itself is really, really compelling. And if it's presented in the right way and that's all there is to watch, I think you're going to grow a fan base so it's i'm i'm rambling here but it, it becomes this like tough balance between like how do you separate that so that the attention can be put on the athletes and the sport and you can get fans to get excited about that versus the mass participation event which is also great benefits the local economy gives runners the experience of you know sharing the course with elite athletes and having their own special day i i don't know the answer to that but i think that's becoming yeah. pretty obvious right now that there needs to be some kind of marriage between the two yeah, 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 and it comes back. To, it comes back to community, right? The community is more about the, the participating. It's about you know being uh, observant. A yeah, a fan. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. JT, I cut you off. What were you going to say? No, Probably I think we're just going to see a lot of those opportunities. So it's not just it's it's not just going to be London. Um, I guess what Fukuoka's done this forever. 
for the most Tokyo, part. Well, Tokyo did it uh, back in March, right? Right. And they were just elites. I know there's another one that we're um, secretly working on that, that might be like an American version of this uh, closer to December. I can't really talk more about that. But then there's going to be a lot of track meets beyond mm -hmm. just these BTCs coming up in August from uh, Music City um, that will be just athletes only and people focused on that. And then I believe Jesse Williams, we're working with him on the Under Armour Sunset Tour. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be towards the end of August. And what I think is interesting about Jesse's a really kind of innovative guy. And not only is he looking at it from, this is like an elite athlete experience and it's only elites, it's gonna be how is he showing that experience? So yeah. trying to get it to more like a YouTube audience or doing on top of a flow track webcast, which you'll have that everyone else has, are we doing it from, you know, William Lear, Will Lear holding a Instagram live thing with the behind the scenes footage of it. So starting to show like some some like new angles and new interviews and and just new new viewpoints, I think to get to grow that fan base because not everyone's looking at Flowtrack. They're going to be watching it from different different platforms. Yeah. Well, the, the hardcore fans are going to be looking at Flowtrack, but you're not going to bring anyone right. new in because they're right. one they don't know what's happening and two, they're not going to fork over 20 bucks a month right away right. if they have no idea what to, you know, what right. to expect. So exactly. Right, 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 right. And you, you need like a, like a, like a in-car dash cam or something like that, that Will Lear can run with, you know, just exactly. like, like a chess cam, what it's like. <laughs> well, that and the devil's uh, pitchfork, we got, he's going to be holding tons of shit by the time you're done with him, Josh. He's going <laughs> right. to have a backpack. Yeah. He he's going to have a whole backpack full of tricks. Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I think it's going to be exciting nonetheless. Um, almost as exciting as the, uh, you know, the gardening that's going on outside. I don't know if you guys can, can hear any of that, but it's yeah. it's okay. I've got a few. I got a friend making some stuff in the microwave in the kitchen right now too. So we're competing. Um, this is the new normal. This is the new normal. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, hey Mario, speaking of speaking of uh, races, you know, and 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 getting back to an opportunity for all of us, like like uh, tell us a little bit about some of your uh, favorite. Um, maybe a, a favorite event uh, that you want to, you know, you want to go back to, or you want to see enhanced, or you want to see live on. Is there any that come to mind? I mean, it could be local 5k. It could be. Are you, you saying know, when dude, all this comes back, Josh? When, yeah, when we're I think allowed so. to. I think yeah. so. Yeah. 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 You know, like in 2030 when we can all get together. Again. <laughs> dude, that's your third interesting question of this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle it. I wasn't planning on having to think this much. <laughs> um, my to be honest, my track record would not have indicated that there would have been. He now averages 0. 0.5 yeah, yeah. per episode. Um, think about that here for a second. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there is. I mean, Josh, what's yours? Man, I, I, if I'm going to be totally honest, I think the, there's a one at my parents' house that I've been doing for uh, – I haven't missed it in 25 oh, yeah. years. And it's like Johnny's it, Apple Run or whatever. Uh, it's, what yeah, the, the Lampson Cable Bridge 5K. And you, you, it's freezing cold. You start on one end. You run across a, a, the cable bridge, and then you finish in this gigantic uh, – like hangar where they make uh, cranes for you know building construction, and they clear all mm -hmm. that out. So the finishing shoot is in a in a building, and hot Dr That's Pepper cool. afterwards. But the biggest thing is has nothing to do with the race. <laughs> it's all about you know drinking beer yeah. and going wine, wine tasting afterwards with uh, with with some friends, um, and yep. 
I think that's the thing. That's the community piece that you miss. It's like, I don't, I mean, whatever. I can run a 5K in the cold any day of the week, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's the it's the community piece. It's catching up after that. In the tradition. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think along those lines, and since this is the Run Local podcast, I mean, here in Marin County, Labor Day weekend, there is an event uh, called the Mount Tam yeah. Hill Climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. it's been going on for, I believe, 40-ish years now. And the route is pretty well known. You go from downtown Mill Valley to the top of Mount Tam, and it's 3.2 miles to the top. And I've run it, I've run the route countless times. I've run the race twice, I believe. And what's cool about it is the community aspect. I mean, the race is over. Everyone gets down the mountain and you go to this guy's neighborhood like who lives two blocks from the start and you hang out in his backyard and they've got food and I think it's the top 10 finishers get the t-shirt I get the Mount Mm -hmm. Tam hill climb t-shirt and it just has like a cool community vibe to it and it's people that you see all the time and you know running the mountain and it's actually part of like a bigger thing that weekend there's a group that rides up on the road there's another group that rides up on mountain bikes and there is like it's called the triple crown there's some people who do all three and they get you know they get a prize for it and it's super low-key yeah i don't think it i think it costs like 10 bucks or something like that and you sign up the morning of but i just i love that event it's small i mean people definitely aren't coming in from out of town but if you live here and you've run that route it's pretty special and cool. So that event in particular, it's not going to happen this year. So I look forward to when it comes back, but I, I love those types of events and I love that type of atmosphere. And I think, and hope and JT, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on this as a local race director, mm-hmm. as things start to come back, it's not all going to happen at once. And right. I think the last thing that's going to come back are these huge events, right? The, yeah. 50,000 person New York City Marathon, Beta Breakers, you know, Wharf to War. I mean, great events, super cool things, but the risk is obviously a a lot higher. And Mm -hmm. those events tend to draw people from out of town. I think people are going to be probably hesitant to travel for a while, but I think that's a great opportunity for local events to really bring in the community and bring people together. And if they haven't already over the last few years or several decades like really make it a thing in their community that people get excited about and rally behind because as much as I love going to New York and Boston and the Olympics and all these all these huge events there's nothing like a local race I mean it's just I I wish more people would get out into their communities and realize like hey you don't have to break the bank on an entry fee you don't have to spend you know all day traveling you can go to this this local event and it can be some of the most fun you'll ever have. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, you're 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 hitting the nail on the head, but it comes back to what can you do? This is just mm-hmm. like the athlete of mm-hmm. of saying, you know, we're not going to force something that we can't have. We're not going to cry over spilled milk that we can't have 50,000 people together. Let's talk about what can we do in this industry and then in events and that will be a sequential process. So a great place to be right now is the owner of a trail race or or looking at those things that's a great opportunity to be like outside small fields it can be mm-hmm. so super spread out start there and then let's talk about the 500 person small town 5k or whatever it's going to be and then there's going to be a slowly build but 
yeah, why not celebrate those local hometown races? Yeah. And they're honestly going to be the ones that need it the most. I, uh, Wharf to Wharf has an endowment and a, some, a bank account that can handle a few years off. And I, I hate to say it, but like great community thing. They give a ton of money to local schools, but they're the ones that can take a hit right now. New York City Marathon, same thing. The ones that you know that are probably in most danger are the ones that we're like kind of banking on these things happening year after year. Uh, right. Yeah. The local yeah. Charity. Yeah. And, and that's and that's where folks get their get their start too, right? You know, you're doing like your local Apple Corps fun mm-hmm. run, or you're doing something where, yeah. you know, you walk out the like, door. Oh, I'm good at this. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm okay. You know, and so like and maybe my maybe my question to both of you guys to carry on with that is, when we do come back, where do we where do we want to lean in to make it better, and what do we want to leave behind? Like it's this is like this yeah. is like a re- reset to the 1970s, right? Where we're just starting over again. And we can take stock of what is really important in these events and in the experience. And so I'm, my question to both of you is like, what do we want to keep? What do we want to leave behind? Hmm. Mario. I was just going to throw it to you so I could have more time to think about <laughs> All it. All right. I'll take um, it. You know what? It's my show. I'll, I'll, I'll put myself on the frying pan. <laughs> I want to leave behind the expo. I hate expos. <laughs> I hate them. I don't need another tchotchke. I don't want two days before it. I'm exhausted by the time the damn race starts. Can we just leave that? They're inside. I don't leave behind the expo. And you know what I want to add is all the things we're creating right now in terms of community building, uh, training and connection between our runners leading into a competition. Like I think we've, some people have done it really well over the years, but I think now we're starting to really tap into getting people prepared for the race and then connecting with them after and creating like more value through the sport of running than just, Hey, we'll take your 50 bucks, come to our race. Here's your medal. Here's your shirt. Goodbye. Like there's a way to, to, to stretch this out and to give a, a larger value proposition of just, Hey, this is cool. This is a cool community. Yeah. Like, like having there's folks come, like having folks come in, like they meet virtually and then all of a sudden meet up at the race and say like, Hey, yeah. we've been training, we've been training together on the line. Let's go run this thing together. Yeah. Now. Happy hours, connections. It's all the things uh, we love about the races. Yeah. That's cool. But that's no cool. expos. <laughs> well, building off that, I mean, as someone who's been to more expos than I care to count, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I don't, people ask me every year when I go to Boston, did you go to the expo? I'm like, if I didn't have to go there to pick up my bib because I wasn't racing, nope, I definitely did not go to the expo. So yes, less expos. But Josh, to that point, I mean, I think that's exactly it. Even if it is, you know, a small local 5k or a small local turkey trot of some sort something that we know is going to be annual and it's going to keep happening is starting the build up to that way in advance and taking advantage of the technology that we have now to connect people earlier and to give them the resources that they need in terms of training in terms of motivation in terms of community being like local workouts and long runs building up to it um you said happy hours. I think that's great. Training runs on the course and, and really having this race day be the celebration of all of these months that have been building up to it. And again, to what I was talking about earlier, it's another way to really focus on the the process, like the event itself. It's, you know, it's the culmination of that sort of thing, but it's not, a, it's not an end goal. It's just a, a stop along the way. And it's maybe it's an annual stop along the way, but it's really about the process, you know, leading up to it and the people that you meet and the things that you learn and the experiences that you have along the way. It's not just about that one day, because that one day, the race itself is going to last anywhere from 
you know, 15 minutes to maybe a, a few hours. But I think what's created in the buildup to that can last a lot longer. It can definitely strengthen those bonds. I think it can strengthen communities. And that's really what we need as a society, but definitely as a sport right now as well. That's cool. I like it. What's next for you? So that's what's next, hopefully, for the running world when it comes back. Would, do you have anything, sites on your training, your coaching, your your podcast, your basically your media empire? For able to- <laughs> <laughs> my my one person media empire. Um, and Tahoe, the dog. And Tahoe. Well, Tahoe has started running in the last couple of months, which has been great. He ran five oh. miles this morning. He is passed Wait. the f out next to me <laughs> right now, which is great. So I want to continue increasing his mileage. I haven't actually coached a workout since March, so I've been out running with him, and I'm like giving him tips on. You know, as I was saying earlier, how to how to get up the hill and modulate his effort accordingly. So, I mean, I oh, guess I guess I'm getting my 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 on the ground coaching fixed that way. But I mean, in terms of what I'm doing um, on the media side of things, I put the newsletter out every week. I put the podcast out every week. There's always a temptation to want to grow it, and I think especially living in the Bay near Silicon Valley, I mean, that's sort of how people think around here. It's like 10 X your life, bro. Yeah. 10 X your life. Exactly. And I think for me, I've worked so long and so hard just to get to this point and it's going successfully. And now I'm like, all right, I don't need to do more. How can I do better at what I'm doing every week? So Mm -hmm. it's just continuing to make small um, adjustments, refining things in terms of, you know, the quality of the content I'm putting out, improving as an interviewer, improving as a writer, diversifying the types of guests that I have on my show, like those sort of things rather than like, okay, what else can I add to my plate? I don't need to add anything else to my plate. For myself, I, before the pandemic hit, I was going to see if I could, if I could go 2020 without doing a race. Um, So now it's made that a lot easier for me and I've done nailing it. I, I've done some solo time trials on my own just because I wanted to do them, like not as a part of any event or anything like that, just as a as a personal challenge. And I'm not excited to do any of that anytime soon, but um, that could potentially interest me again once we once we get toward fall. I'm going to do, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but tomorrow I think I'm going to do my longest run of the year so far uh, on the trails and go up on Bolinas Ridge, which I've been exploring each of the last few weekends and see how much. Ah, TBD could be as long as, could be as long as 22, could be as short as 10. I don't know. Uh, We'll we'll see how I feel. I'd like, I'd like to go long, but I'm just going to see what the, the day gives me. But I mean, for right now, it's just taking things one day at a time as cliche as, as that sounds. I mean, I I can't predict the future is, you know, as much as the rest of us can. So right. I'm just going to see what, see what today brings. And I, and I've never really been one for super long-term planning anyway. I mean, I generally have an idea of where I, I want to go. Um, and then I just sort of figure it out as I go. So I'm just kind of continuing, continuing along those lines for right now in, in every aspect of my life. So. Well, well Mario, cool. I, kn- I know that there's going to be some folks that want to, follow your your work um what's the best way to do that i mean both of our listeners are going to want to follow your work from now on yeah Um, and i know you're not trying to grow and do more so this podcast should be perfect for that yeah yeah it'll definitely definitely keep you right where it might even bring you down a little bit who knows if you're lucky well 
Um, TheMorningShakeout.com is where you can check out uh, most of my quote-unquote work in terms of writing and podcasting. All the podcasts are linked there. It's where you can find the show notes. You can stream episodes. My newsletter, you can subscribe to it there, TheMorningShakeout.com slash subscribe. That comes out every Tuesday morning. And I'm coming up on the five-year anniversary of launching that. I started it toward the end of my time at Competitor, and I've put it out every week for the last 248 weeks. So um, looking forward to to keeping that going. But, I mean, it's really a repository for me. I mean, I put things in there that I'm thinking about, that I'm reading, that I'm listening to. I'll offer opinions on the sport and sort of what's – happening and share that with whoever wants to read it so if you're interested in getting a a take from someone who's worked on a few different uh sides of the industry uh, you can find it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe so that's the best place and everything else is linked off of there as well it's perfect that was great thank you for spending an hour with us uh josh thank you for three great questions (laughs) honestly now to be fair i think there were four uh, uh, this might be stretching it a little yeah, bit. I'll give you, getting, I'll give you three. I, the fourth one's not jumping out at this point. Yeah, they were like, uh, all right. Well, well what's take next it, man. For, so thank you, Mario. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Yep. And what's next for run local is a, a number of things coming up. We, the Silicon Valley half SV half presented by excite credit union has gone virtual. Josh, it's gone virtual. I, I can't, I bet you can't believe that an erase has been canceled and pivoted to virtual. Uh, but we have what's called real virtual racing. We're even putting a little TM after that. Real virtual racing with our partners at Power Lab. So Power Lab, the oh, app, yeah. they're going to help us yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, create actual segments in Silicon Valley, San Jose, and one in San Francisco, where people can run like a half marathon segment and then compare themselves to others. So very similar to that Strava. But guess what? You know, like doesn't cost premium or anything like that so and we've got a leaderboard for that it's gonna be kind of cool so real virtual racing for the silicon valley half 10k and 5k california coast 500 will be done on september 8th and then uh you know what we're gonna put our head in the sand for a couple months watch elites run and just be fans for a little bit i love it that's That's great that's great everything else uh in our world you can find at runlocalevents.com uh podcast comes out whenever josh is free and uh i think that's about it i think that's about it mario thank you again um we'll see you all next time thanks Thanks a lot mario great to see you likewise